Welcome to the Immigration Hour on America's Web Radio. You know, I began recording this podcast about 10 minutes ago, and I looked down and I realized my mute button was on. <laughs> so I get a do-over. Uh, this is your host, Charles Cook, of the Immigration Hour podcast, um, and a partner at um, Cook Baxter Immigration. It's great to be with you. Um, we have a lot of new listeners, and I want to thank uh, our new listeners for coming out and, uh, and listening to us. Uh, we've obviously uh, done a lot of work recently on our podcast as a result of 386, uh, Senate Bill 386, uh, which has been um, uh, uh, slowed down, uh, fortunately, uh, so that we can get a better idea of what's in this bill. Uh, and really what we found out is last week, which we spent the, the whole time frame uh, talking about uh, the uh, uh, the, the SB 36, it turns out that I wasn't even going into detail on the actual newest version of 386. Uh, that in fact, the, the version of 386 that we're now fighting about is actually much, much worse than uh, the bill I talked about uh, because of the payoffs, the buyouts, the, uh, I don't want to call them bribes, uh, but let's call them, hey, uh, quid pro quo uh, for, for not opposing this bill in a, uh, in a uh, unanimous consent motion. And so uh, we talked about how Senator Perdue last time was holding up this bill. He ended up selling out because Mike Lee got him to uh, uh, agree to support the bill by uh, allowing uh, 5,000 uh, nurses and uh, physical therapists a year uh, to get their green cards over, you know, as, as a buyout uh, as part of this. This is in uh, what we call shortage occupations, a new section six, a new six in section three. So if you look in under section uh, three of, uh, of uh, I'm sorry, section two of the bill, and you go down to um, uh, C, uh, C6 uh, says that for each of the fiscal years 2020, through 2028, not fewer than 5,000 of the immigrant visas made available under this paragraph shall be allotted to immigrants who are described in the shortage occupations who are nurses um, and um, uh, physical therapists. So we, we, we bought off nurses and physical therapists. I'm sure everybody's happy about that. Um, by the way, that's, that's really um, um, going to allow in the same people that have been coming now. So this is, you know, this is just a set aside to keep the current part of the law okay for them. That, that's what it does. It keeps it okay for them. But all the other people that want to come, any scientist, um, any uh, engineer, any, uh, any entrepreneur, a future entrepreneur, uh, any master's degree holder, uh, any bachelor's degree holder with, with extraordinary abilities, any um, uh, uh, gardener or nanny, if you're not from India, you're not getting green card for a decade. I mean, that, you know, I've come under a little bit of a tag. It's funny because on Twitter, they are attacking me. Well, it's not 10 years. It's, it's only seven years. Um, oh, okay. I, I think that's wrong. I think that's your guess. And I think my, 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 my estimate is, is just as good as your estimate, uh, that, that no, the rest of the world is not going to get any green cards for a decade. Um, but you know, 
it's, that's not necessarily the point, um, then I think you may be missing the point that it's not the fact that it's seven years or 10 years. The point is that it's any years, that it's any years. So what, what we're doing is we're saying, all right, because one country was able, able to overwhelm the system for 20 years, and, that, and that's what it's been. It's been an overwhelming of the system for 20 years because they've been able to do that. Then uh, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, not, um, uh, we're going to say, all right, heck with all that. Uh, you guys uh, jump ahead uh, to, uh, uh, to the line, and we'll let nobody else come. We'll let nobody else come for a decade. And why, why is it a decade? You know, and this is it. The India backlog will clear in about seven years. Uh, all right. But then you have a, well, not completely clear, but partially clear. But then the China backlog comes in. All right, and and the and China is going to be shut out of the system for for seven years. No Chinese will immigrate for seven years. Understand that none will immigrate in EB two EB for seven years, and, and and I don't know how anybody could dispute that number. And then China will be uh, along with India will be using all the numbers, and then the rest of the world will chime in. That's the EB two distribution under uh, HR ten forty four. Keep in mind. Anybody in EB2 or EB3 can be EB3. That is, you can downgrade an EB2 to an EB3. You can't upgrade an EB3 to an EB2 unless you get a master's degree or you, you get the requisite experience. But either way, it, it's good to look at these numbers uh, as a whole as part of this process. You can't just look at them in isolation. Um, and what we're getting as a result of this this newest version of, uh, of uh, Senate Bill 386 is not just the nurse cutout. So now there's even, now what that means is India will take longer to clear out because the nurses are going to get their green cards. India is going to get that. Um, and it also puts in extraordinary, extraordinary number of uh, 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 changes to the H-1B program. It creates for the very first time what is essentially a, uh, what's called an advertising process for the H-1B uh, by requiring the Department of Labor to set up a website and then requiring every employer to post uh, for 30 days on that website, um, uh, apparently prior to filing the H-1B, um, the occupational classification, agent training, location, salary, uh, or wage range and benefits. Um, and then as part of this application process, uh, the employer um, is uh, going to have to say whether they've advertised for the available position in an advertisement and state that position is only available to an individual with H-1B or is or will be H-1B with priority or preference in the hiring process. Now, I think that's kind of a joke, but... What they're going to do is look at employers that have become H-1B dependent and really crack down on them. And every other employer is also going to have to force to go along with that process. The investigation process and complaints of H-1B employers are different. 
labor condition applications become much harder, much more complicated, and much more subject to uh, uh, to audit. Uh, and include includes that some employers of 100 employers, you're talking about mandatory audits. And this bill also eliminates the H1 in lieu, uh, B1 in lieu of H1B, uh, a visa that many employers have used for years uh, uh, to, uh, to bring people temporarily to the U.S. when the H1 wasn't available. Uh, has it been abused in recent? Of course, it's been abused in recent years, but throwing the baby out of the bathwater is a really bad, really bad deal. So basically what this bill now contains is the quid pro quo, the... Um, the payout, the buy-off of um, of uh, these uh, uh, of Grassley and Purdue, so they object to the bill. So now Dick, Senator Dick Durbin gets up and says, "Wait a second, wait a second. This is this is not fair to every other employer in America uh, who, for 20 years, has not hired only Indian nationals. It's not fair to them. It's not unfair to the employees from other other parts of the world." It's not fair to DACA kids who are, in, who are actually in the labor cert process who are going to get royally screwed by this legislation. It's not fair to the TPS people who both, both DACA TPS, their, their status is going to end in the next year or so. And they're going to be out of luck when they, when they right now, many are actually filing for labor certs. Um, and what about all the great scientists and, and doctors and, uh, um, and uh, engineers and software and tech and STEM folks? that aren't from India. You know, somebody said, well, you have all these great people that are in the line. Yes, uh, that's true. People that chose to be in the line they've known for 20 years existed. You know, sometimes there are consequences to choices. And people knew those consequences. I put up on Twitter this week, my blog from 2019, my blog from 2019, in which I talked in detail in 2000, I mean, 2009, in 2009, I talked in detail about what, the, what we were looking at going forward. And I wrote that blog when I was president of the American Immigration Lawyers Association. And I wrote that blog because at the time, we were trying to get Congress to increase the number of available visas. We wanted to make this change. We wanted to make that happen. And you know what? We couldn't. We couldn't get Congress to move on this. Um, I guess I was past president uh, at the time. So, um, but this blog from October 27th, almost 10 years to the day now, um, I wrote this. I had a very, again, October 2009. I had a very upset client call me this week. He was angry at the visa bulletin. He couldn't understand how, after the start of a new fiscal year, there was essentially no movement in the visa numbers. I tried to calm him by telling me you just need to be patient. And then I realized how patronizing that sounded. How much longer did he need to wait? He had an approved immigrant visa petition, an EB3, with an early 2005 priority in the worldwide category. So I tried to figure out, I tried to try to figure out what he might actually get his green card. Um, so I went through the numbers. There actually, there, there, there are numbers available that you can look at. So first, we looked at uh, some numbers that the Department of State had given us in a liaison meeting and told us that there were 198,000 case-ready I-140 petitions in, uh, in awaiting visa issuance. So 52,000 EB-2, 140,000 EB-3, and another 5,800 in the EW category. That means the Department of State was told that. 
Then you had to figure out, well, how many cases are pending at the service centers? At the service centers, they had another 85,000 I-140 cases awaiting adjudication, and you figure those are both EB2s and EB3s. At the time, they didn't break those out. We also didn't know how many were pending at the district offices. Uh, we didn't know how many labor certs were pending, but we knew, though, that there were 62,000 pending labor certs at a stakeholder meeting uh, from September of that year. And then you went through the math, and we looked at it and said there were 346,000 individuals with approved or soon-to-be-approved petitions awaiting green cards, not including their families. We assumed an average family size of four, which is now what they're telling me is three, and that meant at the time there was 1.4 million people waiting on employment-based green cards in the EB2 and EB3 categories. This is across all categories. Um, and what we looked at, uh, if we said 25% were EB2 and 75% were EB3, I kind of put those numbers out there. We also didn't have a country per country breakdown at the time, so we couldn't put India in there. But we do that India from Department, Department of State, that's India was 70% of the EB2 and 40% of EB3 numbers, and China was 30% of the EB2, but only 3% of EB3 numbers. Um, and I kind of walked through all these numbers here, and at, at the end of the day is we, we looked at what is the wait line? And at the time, there was about, for the worldwide numbers, about an eight-year wait line. And what happened over the ensuing decade? Because of the recession, people stopped coming. Employers stopped doing labor certs. And the numbers kind of took over. And the only country that kept sending employment, only two countries that kept sending employment-based immigrants to the United States were India and China. The rest of the world just basically slowed down. And as a result, the rest of the world caught up. They caught up to the numbers that they were allocated every year. And by 2017, worldwide numbers were becoming current on the EB3 category. And they had been current in EB2 category for quite some time before that. And so what we were seeing is the, the India-China battle, which had been there, which you pointed out last week since, since 1999, 1998, 1999, the visa bulletins, as we separate those out, we knew there was going to be extraordinary waiting lines. And I have advocated for years to get those numbers fixed. But I cannot, I cannot look at uh, the damage that this bill will do to my clients from both India and the China and the rest of the world that it will do to people who need that ability to immigrate now and employers that need specific employees with specific skills to immigrate now. I mean, with the crackdown on H-1Bs and with our lack of a visa to fulfill positions that are skilled but that do not require a degree, the labor certification is the only process that enables that to go forward, and that is the EB3 category. And what we're going to say, that for the next decade, we're not going to have any EB3s. The rest of the world can wait. And uh, that's, uh, that's where I see the injustice. At the same time, understanding the, 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 the horror of looking at a 30-year uh, a waiting period for Indian nationals, it's not 150 years. We all know that. That's obviously a wild exaggeration. But looking at a 30-year backlog, because what we're going to talk about in our next segment is what are the percentages that are being used by different countries today so we can project that over the actual numbers? Let's take a look at that. We'll take a quick break here on the Immigration Now. I'll be back in just one minute. 
Welcome back to the uh, immigration. Now, I know for you, there was no break, uh, but for me, there was. And I wanted to look up something. I, uh, David uh, uh, Beer from Cato, who is a brilliant uh, economist, uh, uh, lawyer, uh, uh, writer. I mean, he does great work with Cato. Um, he uh, put a blog out today, um, uh, but also he put a blog out uh, last June, uh, which talked about this this bill, this what, what we know today as, as Senate... Uh, uh, um, or version of Senate 386. And um, what's interesting is he talked about the, in this particular blog, which he wrote on uh, June 8th, 2018, uh, he said, uh, he went through the numbers that then existed, and these numbers are what the numbers are. Um, and he, he calculated there was a 151-year wait for Indian nationals in the EB-2 category, but only a 17-year wait in EB-3. Uh, there was a caveat that nobody seems to be focusing on that he did point out here, and he pointed out that uh, immigration uh, attorneys Adam Greenberg and William Stock pointed out to me two caveats regarding these calculations. Now, we've talked about this before. First, all EB-2 workers qualify under EB-3, um, and they can refile as EB-3, so the wait times uh, would start to average out. And I know that's the case. We we downgrade lots of EB-2s every year, so EB-3s for our employers. Uh, second, there are a lot of duplicates. Uh, and that's what USC, that's one of Charlie Oppenheim's big frustrations is there's, I would tell you, maybe tens of thousands of Indian nationals have both an EB-2 and an EB-3 petition or multiple EB-2 petitions. Now, David says, well, most employers withdraw the I-140. They don't. Most employers don't withdraw the I-140. And so we don't really know the exact number, and either does Charlie Oppenheim at the Department of State, of numbers that are pending. But we know it's nowhere near 140,000, 151-year wait. And he also pointed out that the reason that EB-2 is taking a little bit longer is because there's lots of EB-2s from the rest of the world i.e. loss of PhD and master's degree holders who get their degrees here, who are being applied for. And what India is saying, I mean, Indian nationals, some of them, not all of them, because I've gotten lots of extraordinarily supportive emails from Indian nationals saying, this is a bad bill, it's not fair to the rest of the world, we can do better than this, rather than those that just scream at me for being uh, discriminatory or, or, you know, even racist, one guy called me, which I'm clearly not. Um, but when you look at the numbers... What this bill does to EB-2s from the rest of the world is this. Okay, you graduated with your, with your PhD from Georgia Tech in nuclear technology. Yeah, I'm sorry, you can't get a green card. You should go back home to Iran. Uh, or you just graduated with your master's degree and you have an extraordinary idea uh, for a business uh, that, and you have several partners willing to sponsor you for a green card. Oh, I'm sorry. You can't. You're not from India. You got to. You got to have to go back home and start the business there. <laughs> this is the great danger, and this is why this bill is so bad. But I want to. I want What struck me <clears throat> was this last sentence from David uh, David's blog, uh, David's article in Cato. Um, is this? Well, that's two sentences. The absurd wait times for Indian immigrants highlights the importance of ending. He calls it the pointless discrimination. I don't think it's discrimination. I just think it's a, it's a, it's a limit. In the legal immigration system, dash, which the Fairness for High School Immigrants Act, which I assume does, dash, but Congress shouldn't just adopt a spread-the-pain policy either. It should increase the number of green cards issued as well. Uh, and that's what I really wanted to point out uh, for David here is that there is... Um, 
there's something really uh, important um, to really uh, emphasize uh, what what it mean, what this bill means is it's not about a spread the pain policy, and yet that's what this bill does. And it doesn't just spread the pain, it puts all the pain on the rest of the world for a decade and then comes back and says, okay, now we got to fix. And there is a better way to do that. And that's what's even crazier as part of this process. Now, I wanted to take this last section here of, um, of our podcast uh, and um, look at uh, David Beer's most recent uh, blog on Cato. So we had the blog from last year, which he said Congress shouldn't make the rest of the world suffer for this. Uh, so David actually put a, 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 a blog out yesterday at noon. It's a great blog, uh, Fairness for High School Immigrants, Wait Times and Green Card Grants. Uh, again, David is a numbers guy. Uh, he's, um, you know, if, if I, love, I loved having him on our, our podcast in the past. Uh, he... Uh, uh, he's uh, truly a libertarian at heart. Uh, he worked uh, with uh, Rule Labrador in the past. Uh, lots of op-eds. He, he really is uh, uh, He's a good person, and I think he's a brilliant strategist, and he's great with numbers. Um, now, remember, that last uh, blog, last article he wrote said there was a 150-year wait for uh, EB2s. This article, actually, um, he says that, in fact, there's only a 49-year wait. Now, I don't, I don't think that's uh, fair either, um, but uh, to take that 49-year wait and then uh, try to give 49 years' worth of green cards to uh, one country within uh, a decade period means the rest of the world is simply not going to get those. Um, now, uh, David uh, wrote in his article here that as of May, uh, from the numbers that he had from May of last year, the estimate is that there's 586,000 Indian national workers in the EB2, EB3 grain cards based on USCIS numbers. Again, that is likely inflated because CIS uh, does not, according to their meetings with us uh, years ago, does not separate out duplicate applications. Uh, and my guess is there are tens of that based upon my own practice, there's probably tens of thousands of, uh, of double-counted people in this, so let's 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 reduce that down to about a half a million people in those categories. Um, now, if uh, the the numbers right now for EB twos are at uh, are at uh, record numbers, uh, they are uh, uh, EB twos are lots of people graduating master's degrees in the U.S. Employers are hiring them. Our economy is uh, is bringing them into the fold quickly. Employers want to hire them by passing three eighty six. Employers are not going to be able to do that. Now, one of the things I liked about David's article here today is that he talked about all the people that are going to die um, uh, if, uh, they, uh, if they have to wait for their green card. And um, it looks like uh, he's got uh, a number of people dying. Um, uh, well, he's got the wait times, of course, he's got, uh, but he's got a number of people dying uh, in, the, in the process here. Um, and what is it, about 14,000 children are going to lose their uh, green cards, 3,000 deaths. I will tell you, there's more than 14,000 DACA kids that aren't going to get their green cards either if we, do this, if we pass this bill. Um, so you've got that going for you. Um, India, now, Dave, what David does, as he puts this, is he says India and China will receive all their green cards for just three years before the rest of the world returns in 2026. See, that's where David and I, our numbers don't match up. 
Uh, I don't I don't agree with those numbers. And it also does not take into account the effect of not having available numbers. What will that effect be? Will employers stop doing labor certifications, people, because they know they can't get a green card? So I'll give you a great example. One of my clients uh, is a large company, uh, and they're from uh, they have they're based in Europe, and they they bring over a number of of people uh, uh, in a visa category that is not extendable beyond its initial period, and uh, they. Uh, those people, that initial period is much longer than the labor cert period, and some of those folks want to stay in the United States. And they view coming to the U.S. as an opportunity to possibly immigrate here um, uh, as well as to be transferred within the company. And that will simply go away as part of this process. So the long-term economic impact, which David does not look at, uh, by only allowing Indian nationals and then Chinese nationals to immigrate uh, through the process, and then going forward, having a large chunk of immigrants only be Indian nationals or Chinese nationals, uh, what does that do to the ethnic and economic makeup of the United States? You know, in 1965, when Congress tried to get rid of the previous system, which was, which was discriminatory, um, they, the way they did this is, you know, we're going to be fair. We're going we're gonna to get every country to have a chance to immigrate to America. And, and we're gonna, by doing this, we're, we're also saying we don't want any one country to send all the potential workers here. And, I mean, you can argue whether you think that's, that's discriminatory or not. I think that's a sensitive and sensible position for an immigrant country, for an immigrant country to say, yes, we are, the, we are the, the, the golden lamp lifted before the golden shore. We are Reagan City on a Hill for all countries. But we're not if we say no other country can immigrate for that long. Uh, so David here in one of his concluding paragraphs write this. Uh, the time it takes to process the backlog, seven or eight years, I think it's nine or ten years, will roughly approximate the processing time for new applicants from China and India. The rest of the world's applicants will still receive a preference on their legislation for 2020 because they have a set-aside. I mean, let's be honest, it's a very small set-aside, guaranteeing some green cards, even though they applied after the Chinese. New Chinese applicants will receive a green card a little bit later than otherwise, but Chinese applicants in the back are either slightly faster on average due to increase in green cards for them in 2022, as shown in these figures. Yeah, I, I think that's a misstatement of how that bill works. But, you know, David's, I'm not going to control David's math here or dispute his math. I just don't agree that that's how my math works on it. Um, now, this is, uh, this is interesting because, again, and David has all these numbers. But then once again, in his last paragraph, he says this. The Fairness for High-Skilled Immigrants Act will clearly leave an immigration system that is still broken. Congress authorizes far too few green cards. It should not count immigrant workers, spouses, and children against the cap. The green card quota should be updated to account for economic growth since it was created roughly double. It should exempt shortage occupations. Senator Rand Paul's believe acts would fix those issues. Ultimately, the bill will not fix the entire system. But he says it would make a couple's purpose fix making the system fair. I don't think it makes it fairer. Uh, in the short term, I think it's uh, actually not fair as a result. But I do want to thank David uh, for, for coming out and saying these things, uh, both in putting some numbers out there uh, that are uh, different than what others have said, 
um, and uh, also um, uh, uh, being willing to stand by those numbers. I mean, I love David. We're going to try to have him on the show again here in the future to talk about this stuff. Uh, but I think it's really uh, important uh, to, to really look at the overall um, uh, uh, numbers and how they are affected and what it means in the bigger picture. And I simply don't want to give up on fixing the system for everybody. And that's what I've always been about on this bill, fixing the system for everybody and clearly not ramming through a wildly um, uh, impactful piece of legislation on a unanimous consent motion. I mean, at least the Senate voted on the floor. They didn't have any they, I mean, they, they, were, they were sold a bill of goods. They didn't have any hearings, but at least they voted on the floor. This is just a unanimous consent motion where people are not being told the truth about what this bill does. And um, hopefully we can uh, 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 fix that uh, going forward uh, as part of this. Um, so there, there you have my, my kind of rants for this week on uh, Senate Bill 386, the amendment uh, SA 989. And the rumor mill says uh, that uh, given this delay and possible stoppage in the House by, uh, uh, by Senator Durbin, that some members of the House pushed by lobbyists for the administration, I mean lobbyists for the, uh, for the uh, uh, pro-386, uh, um, uh, 1044 movement, are going to attach, try to attach... Uh, House Bill 1044 to the uh, mandatory spending bills that are coming up for passage, uh, which would mean there'd be no objection, no ability to amend, and um, we're going to pay attention to that because that this bill is too important uh, and, and too impactful negatively, too negatively impactful to stick in a house a, a, a spending bill. Now, I mean, I realize, I mean, I've done this for 30 years. I mean, I mean, actively on Congressional Hill for 30 years, we have passed some of our best legislation. In fact, almost all immigration legislation uh, for a long time has passed as part of budget bills uh, because it's the only way to get around some of the, some of the anti-rhetoric that's out there. But these bills have uniformly been good bills that did not have negative impact on other immigrants especially. Uh, it's awful that we're in a situation where immigrants are arguing with immigrants about, about literally dividing a very tiny pie when we really should be fighting the common enemy, those who want no immigration to America. Senators like David Perdue, uh, who, who would love to see all immigration end. Uh, that's where we should be directing our efforts. And I will tell you where else we need to be directing our efforts. When I see people on my Twitter feed uh, with the courage to say, you know what, we can pass this bill when we also pass a companion bill that eliminates the per-country limits in family-based immigration, such that Indian nationals who will benefit dramatically from this bill at the expense of the rest of the world, will then suffer with our friends from Mexico and the Philippines for the decades-long wait to bring their relatives to the United States, their siblings, their adult children. Um, then, then I would think I would be more predisposed to saying, all right, if we're all going to be in this pot together, we're all in this pot together. 
rather than cherry picking and giving cutouts and buy-offs and payoffs and quid pro quos to get votes. You know what? If we're going to do it fair, let's do it fair for everybody. And then perhaps, you know, we can all get together and move this forward. Um, but when my friends and clients from Mexico suffer through 80 to 100-year waits to bring a sibling or 30-year waits to bring their children to the United States, um, and yet nobody raises a peep about that, uh, is that racism? You tell me. Uh, a lot of my Mexican friends think it is. And we have to really, you know, you, you can't, in a vacuum, look at this bill. You also can't debate this on Twitter uh, with any real uh, semblance of, uh, uh, of either authority or, or depth because it's freaking Twitter. But you can talk about this with people. And I'll be with my, my good friends, Cyrus Maida and Greg Siskin, this week. Uh, I love both of them. They're extraordinary immigration lawyers. Uh, I think uh, they're wonderful. Uh, we just happen to disagree on, on this one particular piece of legislation. But I will tell you, we agree on like 99% of everything else. And I'm sure one day we'll come to an agreement on, the, on a piece of legislation that helps everybody um, and uh, moves us forward in a debate that helps America continue to benefit from legal immigration, continues to help us uh, fix the problems in immigration and stop the antis and the nativists and the eugenicists uh, from pitting Peter against Paul, uh, Pablo uh, fr from Indira. We, we, we are better than this. Um, and uh, rather than respectively comment on Twitter, to have people attack me, which, hey, you know, attack me. I'm fine. I'm, I'm a big boy. I can take it. Uh, but I stand there as a symbol for many others of what I think is a silent majority. Uh, and, in, and in some cases, an ignorant, a, a, not, not ignorant in knowledge, but simply knowing about that this is going to have a wildly in negative impact on them, uh, that they haven't spoken up. And I've talked to my, my clients in HR and said, do you understand what this bill means? And they are appalled um, that they will have really now uh, people that are in the process for green cards who are literally going to have to leave the country because they can't get it and they can't stay. So, I mean, it's a call out. Let, let's try to fix this bill to make it work for everybody. Uh, rather than shoving it down the throat uh, of, uh, of, of those uh, people who would be wildly negatively impacted by this. You know, one of the funny things that's frequently tweeted at me uh, is, you know, oh, Cook, you're just doing this for the money. You know, I'm an immigration lawyer. I have clients from all over the world. You know, you pass this bill, I'll probably file a thousand adjustment of status applications in the next year. This, my bottom line is irrelevant to this. Uh, you know, this is about justice. You know, most immigration lawyers will make far more money if this bill passes because they're going to be doing all these green cards for the next seven years uh, that they would not have been doing rather than slogging through uh, H's, which I will tell you lawyers hate these days, or labor certifications, which are painful and, and intensive and not entirely cost-effective for lawyers to do. Um, so this isn't about money. This is about justice. This is about fairness. This is about equality. 
and really joining together in an effort to make these laws work. Well, it's been great being with you this week. If you have any comments, feel free to email me on, uh, at ccookandimmigration.net. You can tweet me. I'm going to put this up here on Twitter here shortly. You can tweet me at ccook, C-K-U-C-K. Uh, until next week, uh, this is your host, Chuck Cook of the Immigration Hour.